0: Godfrey O'Donnell, you're a Romanian Orthodox priest. You were a Jesuit for a number of years. But your interest in ecumenism, does that that predate the Jesuits or Vatican II?
1: I suppose it does. I mean, I I grew up in Derry. And um, I mean, my memory of both my father's funeral and um, friends of his, whose funerals we went to, uh, if they were on the other side, that... People had to stay outside the building while the service went on or the mass went on. And uh, that that was an abiding memory. And it just seemed appalling that we, we couldn't even welcome, you know, friends, not only, um, I suppose, you know, into our church, but similarly, they couldn't do the same for us if we were at a Protestant funeral. So... I suppose that that was part of it, very struck by that. I thought as the years went by that when the troubles got going and all the rest of it and I was on the periphery of it really for most of the time but um, it was so hard to make friends with people on the other side so you'd meet friends and some would be the protestant side and if you met in the in town conversations took place in whispers (laughs) this kind of thing i mean much has changed in the north thanks be to god since then when i go up to dan patrick now people talk out loud they laugh they can make fun and they can poke fun And uh, it's all much more relaxed and you're not worried about who's listening in.
0: Now, you're in the Romanian Orthodox tradition, having been, as I said, with the Jesuits. What are the relationships like in that regard now between the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Churches?
1: I would say that they're slowly improving but uh, i've traveled a good hunk of certainly northern romania and I, i'd be aware that uh, there are places you go to you talk to monks uh, or in the parish churches you're talking with some of the priests and suddenly you're just aware that uh, they some of them think you're off the wall that you you might be trying to encourage say relations improving you know between catholics and orthodox um, so I I am aware that at times parts of Romania are like 50 years behind Ireland that's true um, in many ways but then the, there are heartening things I mean recently I was in Geneva to go to meet somebody at the World Council of Churches And I went to visit uh, Chambesi, which is one of the ecumenical institutes just north of the city. And there is a gorgeous Romanian priest there who's the director. And you couldn't meet a more open, more optimistic, more dynamic kind of person, you know, and that's lovely. And you find, gosh, here's a real meeting of minds and hearts.
0: So what would the problem be with those Romanian Orthodox uh, people who are aghast when you would say, let's look at better relations? What what are the stumbling blocks for them? Well,
1: partly that um, I suppose it's really lack of information. Their conception, say, of Catholicism and doctrinal approaches and that kind of thing are really based on textbooks of another age. And I mean, you might be just talking 19th century, you might be talking 18th century. And it's like, I suppose, to say in Ireland in the old days, you had never met somebody from the other side. And they haven't either. So, I mean, my God, when they actually meet a Catholic, it becomes a totally different thing. Because the Romanians naturally are very hospitable and very courteous. But when it comes to sort of conceptions of, you know, what is right and what isn't, they just think that the Catholics are totally wrong. And some would even talk in terms of these people being heretics.
0: And what do they think they're wrong in and what do they think we're heretical, that Roman Catholics are heretical in?
1: Well, partly I suppose it's doctrinal. um, The whole difficulty of, trying to you know, express the creed that they feel hurt at one level that the Catholics went ahead and made a change in the creed bringing in the filioque they have a quite different understanding of the scriptures and how the procession of father through son to spirit is to be articulated and they they feel this Catholic thing is just heretical and I suppose part of the problem is they don't seem to be able to accept that perhaps we're dealing with the mystery of God and our articulations of that will never be enough. Uh, We do our best and can there not be room for slightly different approaches? But uh, I think that concept and the concept of, say, development of theology and that kind of thing that's a more Western notion hasn't quite permeated with some. But again, you know, I'm sure 40 or 50% of the clergy would be very open and uh, would have little or no problem. They might have a cultural problem. Um, they they might wish uh, that, say, Westerners were more aware, more sensitive to the possibilities of you know different cultural expressions. And then, of course, there's the whole historical hurt of how the Latin Church let down the Byzantine Church during the Crusades. That has never been forgotten.
0: And just explain that for, for listeners who wouldn't know what happened there.
1: Well, I suppose put in simple terms was that um, emperors of the time, and you're talking, I suppose, what, 1200s to maybe er- early 1300s were under terrific pressure from the the various Turkish groups that were slowly but surely invading Asia Minor so the emperors looked to the west to try and find some military support and uh, some meeting of minds where they could tackle the problem together but the the way the west did it was that uh, i mean it, it it wasn't a holy crusade it wasn't helping god's people it was about looting and grabbing whatever you could And uh, that a lot of, say, the historical artifacts of Constantinople were just taken, stolen. And you can see them today in lovely museums, say, like um, Venice, uh, where you see just these marvelous things that the Crusaders brought home. And... um, then there was an attempt to, I suppose, during the the Crusades to set up maybe a military kingdom parallel to the Byzantines but there was very little understanding or very little cooperation and it was a group of Western knights coming in and helping themselves.
0: In fact, there, it is said that they even took the bones of St. Nicholas which are supposed <laughs> to be in Kilkenny because some of the knights who went there were of Irish Mm. Descent and, yeah. and, and did that via Venice. In mm. fact, yeah, that that's fascinating, and that wound still hurts.
1: Still there, I think Irish people can understand. We too are very good at remembering historically, uh, with all the myths and in many t- times and ways, where it's it's unquestioned, uh, and it's like that too. on the Eastern Christian side unfortunately and it'll take time for that healing to take place and people to I suppose be able to respect the other side and feel that uh, you know they're they're not enemies it's happening bit by bit the last Pope John Paul was very keen on trying to make amends in some ways by meeting say with the ecumenical patriarch and that was lovely and even at his funeral how many of the eastern metropolitans including Bartholomew were at the funeral and where there was eastern church music sung at the funeral so that says a lot
0: And what about the present Pope, do you think he has that same kind of ecumenical bent?
1: Yes, he does. I know that there is approaches afoot between certainly Rome and Russia to try and see could there be some kind of reciprocal visits and uh, maybe, you know, some further healing between the two. But it's slow at the moment for all kinds of reasons. But uh, I, I know I'm always trying.
0: Yeah, because it's something I've picked up uh, in speaking to people. In this series, that the ecumenical project—some would say it's in the winter; others have said it's stalled. You're saying it's slow. Hmm. Uh, what do you think are the key reasons for this? Well,
1: it, I think it's the old thing: you need to get to know somebody. You need to be able to sit down at table and share a meal, and just enjoy one another's company and get to know one another these are some of the simple things that have been going on in Ireland certainly in the last 10, 15 years Um, and that has made a big difference, just the very simple things that we, we learn I suppose to approach one another with the love of Christ and that that gets expressed in respect and that we stop shouting at one another and listen and be able to carry on civilized conversations and maybe as they take place okay I suppose at another level there have been official doctrinal conversations between the the different traditions and that's great and laudable too I think part of the problem there is they're not being followed up on it's like in Ireland the way we, the genius we have for you know writing reports and then they get put on the shelf and nothing seems to happen but the report got written I and mean, it seems to be that it's rather like that too between say the Catholics and Orthodox and even the, the, the Protestant traditions too
0: your own situation, you were a Jesuit who became a Romanian Orthodox here I- in Ireland. How did you find that? Did you find you were accepted and embraced? And that? how did it af- impact on you?
1: Well, I suppose, again, slowly. I mean, when Ruth and I decided to get married, and that was one of the reasons I left the Jesuits, the main reason, And we prayed about it and felt that God was inviting us to become Orthodox. So as it happened at the time, this was the mid-80s, the only Orthodox community in Dublin was a Greek one, though the priest was Romanian, uh, who was the parish priest. And um, so it was bit by bit, I suppose, you know, just moving on in our journey because I always felt that God was going to continue to be with us. I didn't quite know how. But uh, as it turned out, I had a kind of novitiate and Ruth as well (laughs) of about 12 years (laughs) learning all about orthodoxy in the Greek community. And that served to gradually prepare. We got to know people and they got to know us. And bit by bit, I suppose, maybe suspicions or, you know, Slight unease, not quite knowing what was expected, and you feel your way. And then gradually you make friends, and from there you, I suppose, get help and pointers. I certainly know in the early years, one of the people who helped enormously was um, Bishop Callistus Ware, now Metropolitan. I got to know him personally, and um, he was of tremendous help to sort of get a sense of, I suppose, the furthering of my theological education and uh, different approaches to scripture and church history, that kind of thing. And I I just found it enormously interesting. I've always been kind of a curious person. So it was a terrific privilege. And uh, Ruth and I always had the sense that we were bringing the best of what we had been shown in Catholicism through people of faith to the same kind of thing in Orthodoxy.
0: Oh, can you say what they were? I mean, what was the best of Catholicism and what was the best of Orthodoxy?
1: Well, I think in Catholicism, probably the fact that when I was going through training and that Vatican II was on and it, it just opened up enormously intellectually and I suppose spiritually it was that and two I think that while my years in France might have been a bit the dark night of the soul there was another side to it where I discovered the church fathers because the two great teams in France were based in the house where our house of formation was and you'd be sitting down with these bods you know, at lunch and supper, day in, day out.
0: Who, Yves Conger? Or?
1: Well, Conger I met all right, but the, these were mostly people, say, who were working in source Chrétienne, translating some of the fathers uh, and doing critical editions. And then the other team that was there was the Dictionnaire de Spiritualité, people who were writing up kind of key articles for this huge, I suppose, encyclopedia of Christian spirituality and uh, they'd share their work with you, you know, and their problems and trying to make sense of things and that kind. So that, I suppose that's where it got going. And then I suppose the other part of it was um, directed retreats and that I found myself being volunteered to go and do further studies in the states and worked with a fantastic directed retreat team in st louis and in the midwest and got a lot of experience there so that kind of thing and i suppose just the the reality of christ becoming more and more present and more and more part of my existence I think that that was the lovely thing. And I know it was for Ruth, too, in her journey. It's something of that that we brought. Now, the funny thing is that, okay, I suppose, looking at orthodoxy from the outside, it seemed, gosh, yeah, this is a huge mystical tradition, much more mystical approach to Christ, say, than the Catholic. But then it's just like, okay, as you get to know, the scene and the people and all the rest of it you begin to realize you know there are ordinary really human beings like us they they might have this terrific tradition but how much they've been able to enter into it and experience it yeah you see a lot of the same difficulties the same searching the same doubts similar kinds of questions okay coming out of other cultures but it's there and you you begin to realize yeah that faith it's a great gift but all the time I think we have to keep searching to understand better to be more deeply committed it is hearts and minds and you can't have one without the other and I suppose uh, you you can meet people in both traditions, you know, who might be more heady or might be more the other side, more kind of effective in terms of feeling and emotion and commitment that way. And yet it's the whole thing struggling to keep that together and that you've got to have both. Because what I'd be very aware of, say, with some of the monasteries in the East, while well, The people are very sincere and uh, very prayerful. I do think in some of the monasteries there is a lack of what I would call real spiritual education and a theology that is being prayed. I'd say that was one of the great discoveries I made before I left when I was in theology. I think God helped me through certain people To understand, okay, it wasn't about passing exams or struggling to understand the the mystery of the Trinity. It was about meeting Christ, understanding how he was with us in the sacraments, how he was with us, you know, in Scripture, in other people, in the culture that we have. That God is to be found everywhere, but sometimes you have to really struggle to find and make sense. And then, I suppose, how to articulate something of your experience that can suggest the reality of god to other people now i think ruth and i brought that and we probably because we were western educated i think we had a much greater idea of the development of understanding of christ of the trinity that this just didn't happen you know, and it was all beautifully articulated, say, in the time of the Cappadocian Fathers, and we need push it no further. We do have to push it further because we have to make sense to our contemporaries, and I I think at the, the moment, certainly, the Eastern churches are struggling, really struggling, as to how to do that. Now, some are learning from the struggle that's already taken place in the West, and they're open, and they see the good side of that and the weak side of it, but They're open to learning, uh, which is lovely.
0: And when you say what Ruth and yourself brought, the gift that the Romanian Orthodox or the Orthodox gave back to you, uh, one thing is quite obvious is that you were able to be married Mm. and to practice nonetheless as a priest. Were there other things or was that the crucial thing, that kind of freedom? Uh,
1: It's funny. I can give the impression, you know, that orthodoxy is sort of coming out of the Dark Ages. But that isn't quite true. In many ways, their tradition, I think, is more compassionate and probably more realistic and down to earth than, say, things that go on in the Catholic tradition. And obviously one of the things is around, you know, the the possibility, say, for a priest to be married. Now, in orthodoxy, okay, they do it. Usually, in terms of, say, people going through theology training. At that stage, they're asked to choose whether they want to be celibate or whether they wish to marry. And also, the possibility that the church allows for divorce and has a very compassionate and, I think, again, feet on the ground approach to the fact and the possibility that couples can discover along the way that they're not in a healthy relationship and it has to end and that that's okay and that God through the wisdom of his beloved priests and bishops can allow for the fact of people you know getting their lives going again and of some healing taking place not just being boxed not allowed you know have all the rest of their life to live so there are things like that but i know on the other hand yeah i belong to a very conservative church that's true and but part of the problem is i suppose around canon law and the way they understand the canons and some people when you talk to them you get the impression that because of the council of laodicea that that's it really most things have been dealt with there and these canons exist forever they are eternal and then you discover you no know, church allows for custom and human creations and those things can change the church can learn along the way might be slow in learning but can do it so you you can bump into what I might term uh, maybe a rather fundamentalist approach at times where law can become greater than love and what Christ in the gospel was inviting us to, which I think is to care, really care for one another and to figure out how to do that and that the Holy Spirit is there. We will only learn how to listen to him and pray.
0: So finally, in this Advent season, in which we're doing this interview, I'm picking up for you that you are quite hopeful about the movement, the ecumenical project, and where it's going?
1: Ah, yes, I am. No doubt about it. Because, I mean, I suppose my privilege is that over the last number of years I've worked quite closely, both in the Dublin Council of Churches and then when I moved on to the Irish Council of Churches (laughs) and now find myself president (laughs) of that organisation – and the facts say that we have a good relationship with most of Protestant churches in the country. And this is taking into account, say, nine different Orthodox churches, different jurisdictions that are now present in Ireland. I'm their representative as well, so that's another little grouping. And then that we've got an interchurch meeting going, which is quite harmonious where, say, Cardinal Sean and myself co-chair that meeting we take it in turns to run it and that our executive secretary is executive secretary not only for the Irish Council of Churches which is Protestant and Orthodox but he's also the secretary for the interchurch meeting on the Catholic side you know so it's slowly happening i mean i, I wish to god right i could say you know right we've got the fireworks going now and here we are and it's all achieved no it isn't but we're we're getting a bit better we're getting a bit more honest i think we've got past the stage of being pleasant to one another (laughs) and that now we can start talking about some of the real difficulties of why these different approaches to christ why these different understandings and why these lived traditions that have been going on now for number of centuries so presumably the holy spirit is at work in all our bodies whatever we want to call them in all our communities and what's he saying to us now i think he's saying look the lord had that prayer for us all that we would be one as he and the father were and i suppose we're struggling to take that seriously but that we're getting to the stage where maybe we actually can pray for that But not only pray for that, but actually pray with one another for that. And ultimately, I I love the phrase of that family that had that awful tragedy in the north, Um, the farming group.
0: Son fell into the slurry tank. Yeah,
1: that's right. And the sister of one of the brothers who died saying ultimately in her little speech at the funeral service, that these men didn't talk much about Christianity. They did it. And I think that's it. If we can learn to do it and maybe do it with one another, share projects, do things like that, you know, become more involved and, I don't know, less worried about batting on our own, we pitch. That's what God wants, I think.